you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark uh, chapter 3. And uh, just before we stand to read that, I'll just remind uh, you that this Saturday uh, at 1 o'clock will be the memorial service for Kendra Brower. And so uh, if you are able, invite you out to remember Kendra's uh, life together this Saturday, 1 o'clock. And uh, you can continue also uh, to uh, pray for uh, Graham and Morgan and Burke and their family as uh, they move forward through this really difficult uh, process of losing a wife and a mother. Um, so uh, this, this, this Saturday at 1 o'clock. Let's stand together. Um, Mark 3, verses 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother... And your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. As you know, we follow the Psalms through our pastoral prayer, and most of the time we uh, sort of uh, hybrid a extemporaneous prayer with the themes of the Psalm, but every once in a while, uh, and especially on this particular Sunday, because it is Persecution Church Sunday, and in the providence of God, Psalm 109 is up. So our pastoral prayer, I will read the first 15 verses of Psalm 109 as it relates to those who oppose the people of God. And we have plenty in our own culture who oppose the people of God, pretty, pretty openly. Uh, we have an election this next Tuesday to touch on a whole range of issues that relate to some of that, that you can participate in, uh, in our nation as Americans, and encourage you to do just, just that. But David, in writing about those who oppose the people of God, whether it be in Nigeria or in Palestine or the United States or wherever he wrote this. O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. 
So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before you, O Lord, continually. That he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Father in heaven, we are reminded that you oppose the enemies of your people. And as we think this morning about being your people, your children, your household, may we take heart that the enemies of your people are your enemies. We ask that you would comfort us with these things and make us wise to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. This past September the 8th, Queen Elizabeth died. You might have heard it in the news. Um, It was a massive story worldwide. I don't remember how many days in a row, but quite a few days in a row and actually spread over a couple of weeks, she would reappear on the front page of the Wall Street Journal with a photograph, as she did, no doubt, on the front pages of most of the world's significant newspapers all around the world. Many of you uh, probably uh, watched the pop culture uh, reflection upon her life produced by Netflix called The Crown, uh, kind of following the life of Queen Elizabeth from uh, her childhood up through her inauguration in 1952, 70 years ago, the longest reigning monarch in British history, 70 years. And in that series, The Crown, there's, there's kind of a, 
There's a bit of, uh, if you're familiar with, remember the short story of Walt, by Walter Mitty, about Walter Mitty, you know, who pretends that he's everyone else. Sort of in the crown, it asks any and all of us to ask, what would it be like? What would it have been like to have been born into the royal family? To move about between palaces, to travel the world with great pomp and circumstance, what, what would that have been like? And of course, the answer of the crown is not at all what you would think. For aside from the queen herself, the royal family, largely, was a study in being a miserable mess, uh, pretty broadly speaking. As I say, outside the queen herself, who comported herself pretty admirably by just about everybody's account. But what would it be like to be in the royal family. Our text for this morning really raises that question quite a bit higher. It says, what would it be like, what would it be like to be in the divinely royal family? We sang this morning what was my, my grandfather's favorite him. He actually sang it uh, out loud, as I've mentioned before, at standing at the end of my grandmother's casket. He promised her he would, and there he took hold of the casket and sang, Children of the Heavenly Father, at her graveside. Children of the Heavenly Father. A simple tune, absolutely profound idea. Who are the children of the Heavenly Father? Who belong to the infinite and eternal royal family? Jesus' family. Jesus is understood in New Testament terms, which would include this understanding of Jesus that Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What would it be like? To belong to the family of the image of the invisible God. The family of the firstborn of all creation. The family of the one who created all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. The family of the one not only through whom all things were created, but for whom all things were created. What would it be like 
to be in his family. And the answer that we find Jesus giving in Mark's gospel is this shockingly simple answer. It would be like being a Christian. That's what it would be like. Because that's who Christians are. That's who believers are. Remember how John put it in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. As we sang it this morning, we should be called the children of our Heavenly Father. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is it didn't know Him, beloved. We are the children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him just as he is. And our text in Mark is Jesus telling us that if we are among those who hear his word and practice it, that's who we are. The children of God, members of the royal family, Mark records the story to come at this with us sideways a bit. It's really cleverly put together, this little five-verse paragraph. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. I stated our thesis for this morning this way. Christians belong to the divine royal family through Jesus Christ. Christians belong to the divine royal family through Jesus Christ. Three, Three angles on this this morning. Number one, beware of popular misconceptions about Jesus' family. Beware of popular misconceptions about Jesus' family. Verse 31 and 32. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside uh, seeking to see you. Now, the imagery here is supposed to be pretty striking. Right, especially as the paragraph flows forward. And the popular misconception is the popular misconception that everybody in the house had. And that is this. Um, the announcement comes from the edge of the crowd, moving inward. Hey, better let Jesus know. 
Mary and his brothers are outside waiting to see him. And the message comes forward. And as everybody passes the message on, they know exactly uh, what was being said. People really close to Jesus have shown up. We are sure that he will really want to know. So you better tell him. And they all expect that when they tell him, what he'll say is, whoop, okay, half hour recess. Um, My mother and my brothers are here. And so uh, let's, uh, let's all go out and we'll let them come in. Uh, a little bit, and I'll visit with my family, and then we'll get back to what we're doing now. That's what everybody expected. Everybody there, including Peter, James, and John, everybody there, that was their expectation. Jesus will be happy to hear that his mother and his brothers are here those who have a family connection with him, the closest kind of connection, the family connection. Now, from earlier in the gospel, it's likely that his family is here to see him because they think he's sort of lost it a bit. Remember, we we, we looked at that back in verse twenty. And 21, where the the ESV doesn't really translate at all at this point, they interpret uh, outright in a pretty bold way, and I I think correctly. So I'm not really criticizing them, but you need to understand there's dispute about this because what you read in your, your ESV is way more explicit than what you would read in the in the text of the Greek New Testament. So here's how it is in the ESV. Then he went home and a crowd gathered again so that they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, when his family heard it, but well, there's no word for family there. What it says in the Greek text is simply, and when those who were with him heard it, well, those who are with him can't be the disciples and everybody who is all, all, are already there. They're, they're somewhere else. So the supposition is those who were with him would be his family. And that's really highlighted and made a lot more likely by where we are now. Because this is just linked up with what came earlier. So here's the explicit thing that happens when his family comes to see him and understand. They're, they're doing an intervention. They think Jesus needs some time off, time to take him home, get him reset, um, uh, because it just seems to them that uh, he's gone a little wild, and, uh, and the claims and everything that's happening seems pretty strange. All the people that you would hope uh, would be for the Messiah are against him, Get him home, uh, do something of uh, a reset. They're thinking, as Mark puts it, he's out of his mind. Uh, He's out of his mind, the end of verse 21. He's beside himself. 
He's ecstatic. Um, and so they've come to help him get back on the right page. But notice in this text, the way it's presented, the key word, it's a really key word, and this is not by accident, and hence it's repeated twice. Mary and the brothers are standing outside. Outside. They show up outside. The message comes forward. The announcement, they're standing outside. And everybody in the house thinks, oh, this is backwards. The ultimate insiders are outside. And the outsiders are inside. That's what needs to be corrected. The mother and brothers are the insiders, and they're standing on the outside. That's not good. So we're going to bring them in. And we'll get the the people presently in here. We'll get them out, at least for a while. And then we'll be able to... Resume the activities. Now, don't miss, this is a bold, this is a really bold, bold, bold thing to be saying here, right? Even for Protestants, much worse if you have a Roman Catholic background, you know. And so in this, yeah, Mary standing on the outside? I don't think so. Mary thinking that Jesus might be beside himself? Now, Mary is a person of genuine faith, but she is a, she gets things wrong. Right? She gets things wrong. Jesus does what she tells what she tells him to do, really, at the wedding in Canaan, but he kind of gives her a word of rebuke there. He says, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Your timing's all off. So there are Mary. And the brothers um, outside. And everybody there knows these are the ultimate insiders standing outside. And that's what needs to be reversed. But when Jesus gets the news, and this takes us to our second point, be sure to face Jesus' family identity questions squarely. That is how shocking it is. Verse 33. So we've set the scene. Jesus hears, hey, Mary and the brothers are outside. What they think Jesus is going to say is, okay, break time. Everybody out. Let mom and my brothers come in. Instead, he he asked this, what had to seem to everybody, this ridiculous question. Who are my mother and my brothers? What kind of question is that? (laughs) They're the people standing outside. Your mother Mary. Your brothers James and Jude. We just told you. They're outside. And receiving that news, Jesus says, Who are, who are my mother and my brothers? 
So now, at the very least, he's got everybody's attention, and he ought to have our attention. Like, what? What is he talking about? What is he doing? Now remember, Jesus has the, the highest views of family connection, right? He believes every word in the Old Testament. He is 100% honor your father and mother in the Lord. He's right with how the Apostle Paul will interpret Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy Five, whether it's we've been in re- very recently in Exodus 20 on Sunday nights, not so long ago, Deuteronomy 5 in, in uh, the Sunday school class that Terry's been leading. Do- Exodus 20, verse 12 Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. However, As strongly as Jesus holds to that, he has repeatedly said things in his ministry that let us know that that is not the ultimate connection with him or for anybody's life, their father and mother, their brothers and sisters. This is typical of the kind of thing that you'll find repeated throughout the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, as wonderful as these relationships are, I'm asking you to have a tighter connection with me than with your mother or your father or your wife or your children. I'm not asking it even. I'm demanding it. I'm telling it it must. I'm telling you it must be. Now that strikes us as kind of crazy talk. Um, But it also starts to make sense out of his question in Mark 3.33. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who has the real connection with me that matters? Um, Remember how it's put in John 3.3. and if you were in um, uh, Jim Powers' Sunday school class a ways back um, now, back when he was in John 3, paused and talked about whether or not the better translation of John 3, 3 is as the ESV has it, which is this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, or whether or not a better translation might be, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever is, unless you are born from above, you cannot understand the kingdom of God. Well, they had a choice to make, and every translator has a choice to make, because in John's gospel, almost certainly, you're supposed to take this in two ways at once, right? The born-again language, that's how Nicodemus takes it. 
So he's completely confused by it. How could you enter a second time in your mother's womb and be born? I don't know what you're talking about. But Jesus has in mind the connection to Ezekiel. So he's thinking born above language. Unless you're born from above. Unless you have a new heart and a new spirit. um, Then you, you can't see the kingdom of God. And it's those with this new heart and new spirit, as we're about to see, who are Jesus' family. Uh, what Those who do the will of God, that's just a parallel of saying those born from above, those with a new heart and a new spirit. So thirdly, finally, be sure to live out the implications to Jesus' own answer to his family identity question. And Jesus' Jesus' answer to it is really simple. Verse 34 and 35. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now that is a really radical statement in the context, right? Jesus says, look, the true insiders with me are already inside. And those with merely a a biological, cultural connection with me are by no means necessarily inside. The brothers, at least at this point, are almost certainly truly outside. At least in John's Gospel, they come out clearly. They think Jesus is a fraud. They think Jesus is a joke until later. The outsiders are rightly outside. And on this occasion, Mary's more or less with them, momentarily at least. And they're outside. And those that really have this eternal family connection are whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. That is, he is the brother, he has the family connection to the image of the invisible God. He has the family connection to the firstborn of all creation. He has the family connection to the one who created the heaven and earth, things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. He has a family connection to the one who created all things. He has a family connection to the one for whom all things were created. He has a family connection to the one holding everything together. And, and Mark is saying, and if you are among those who hear the word of God and do it, that's you I'm talking about. That's you. You are connected to the everlasting king like that. 
Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Or as it's put in Luke's parallel, Luke 8.21, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's a big thing in the New Testament. Hears and doers, hears and doers, hears and doers, hears and doers, hears and doers. The Great Commission. Um, you know, the Great Commission isn't go ye into all the world um, and have people ask Jesus into their heart. It's not what it says. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I've commanded. Teaching them to be doers of my entire will. That's the Great Commission. It's, it's not a rite of baptism per se, but it's, it's this connection that you see here. Those who hear the word of God and do it, as Luke has it. Those who do my will, as Mark has it. In other words, the marks, the marks of, the, of the family of God are a, a mark of hearing, it's a mark of the ear and the hand. When Jesus is using a different metaphor, he uses exactly the same ideas. But when he's, when he's describing us as sheep in John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. So there's the mark of the ear again. And I know them, and they follow me. So he goes to the mark of the foot. It's the same thing. The foot and the hand, in this case, stand for obedience. Embodying, embodying the word of God. And this is precisely what is being referred to by the Apostle Paul at the Lord's table when he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever then eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthy... And an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. For what? Well, to see whether or not you belong to the new covenant that's in his blood. This cup is the new covenant in his blood. Well, how do you know if you're in the new covenant? Well, here's how Ezekiel taught us to think about how you know. Here's Ezekiel's new covenant 
writing that Jesus no doubt has in mind when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be a child of God. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Ezekiel 36, 25. From all your uncleanness and from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Just let a person examine themselves. Is that you? Are you a child of God? Do you hear the will of God and find in your new heart the desire to do it? Has the Spirit of God enabled you to understand the words of Jesus such that you love them, you're attracted to them? They're your stuff. They're your stuff. Sometimes when we think about ourselves in relation to these things, we miss the miracle because we, we don't think about the right parallels, right? Think of all the people you know in your life to whom and for whom. They may even be church people. They may have gone to church for decades. But the words of God mean nothing to them. Nothing. Nothing. They have a series of rituals that they pass through, that they sort of rest in, that they sort of trust in, but the Word of God itself, they don't really know what it says, and they're not all that interested in finding out. They don't care. Now, they still count themselves Christians by the billions, but that's where they are. And he says to you and I, Paul does, you be sure that that's not you. You be sure that when you hear Jesus say, my mother and my brothers are those who hear, who do the will of God, or they'll hear the word of God and do it. You know, I've heard I desire to do it. Pretty disappointing as a doer. Pretty disappointing. But that's why that water is sprinkled on you so that you can be clean. Forgiveness. But that's what you examine yourself for. Are you among those who hear the word of God and do it? Are you among those who belong to the family God. Just in my regular Bible reading this week to go full circle and back to Queen Elizabeth and the crown. It is kind of something to think about. What would it have been like to be in the royal family? To live in palaces and to fly around the world in private jets? Quite a life. Quite a life. And to realize, but according to the New Testament, 
I have been made part of the royal family. Not that temporary plastic one in England, but the everlasting world family. One of the texts this next Saturday we'll be talking about heavily at Kendra's funeral. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. I'll let you come to the funeral if you want to hear that. But if you just keep going in that paragraph, and you get down to verse 10, you read this line. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's talking about any and every Christian there. If you're a Christian this morning, here's here's your story. The God of all grace, he called you. Called you where? Into his eternal glory. Into the eternal glory of his everlasting kingdom in Christ. And to him will be dominion forever and ever. And that's the kingdom, that's the family. Of the Christian. And that's the identity that we make each time when we come to the Lord's table. We're asked, be sure, be sure that you've got a part of this. Do you belong to this family? And if you do, Your sense of participating in this table should be a sense of just awe and wonder. I've mentioned it before. So men can come share this last piece. Um, Donald Gray Barnhouse told the story of when he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia preaching on Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. And, uh, and he emphasized being chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us through adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And he noticed while he was preaching the sermon that there was a a street kid in the audience there with some regularity up in the balcony. Never talked to him, but he'd seen him. On this sermon in the 1950s, after the service, that little boy wanders his way down and he comes and he finds Dr. Barnhouse after the service goes up and shakes his hand. And he says, boy, Dr. Barnhouse, 
If what you say is true, we're sure all sitting pretty, ain't we? If you belong to this table, you're sitting pretty. Family of the everlasting God, eternally royal family. If you don't belong to this table, I invite you to it. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Become a follower of his. It's the only hope in the world. It's the only hope in the world for sinners. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. The men would stand. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the bread. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you have told us that you did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. And how will you not with him Freely give us all things. Family connection. Everlasting hope. All things. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus name.